Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. One of the most exciting things about reading through the scriptures is seeing our God actively involved in people's lives. This was especially true with the apostles, and we can read through the scriptures to see the testimony of the people, to see how God interacted with them, to see how he involved himself in their lives, and how he performed many miracles within and through them. And because of these miracles that the Lord performs through the apostles, it's very easy to look at them as great men, great men in and of themselves, instead of being reminded of the reality that it's not about the apostles, it's not about the apostle Paul or the apostle Peter, it truly is about our God, it is about him who is an active participant in our lives as much as he was in their lives. In the time of the development of the early church, certainly the Lord was very much involved and there were many miracles that were performed within and through his apostles, in order to give testimony of who he is. And today there are many miracles that are performed within and through people who do trust and believe in the Lord Jesus today. Similar miracles that were performed back in the time of the early church and other miracles that I would consider to be greater than many of the miracles that were recorded in the early church. For example, there certainly were many occasions where people experienced a healing in their flesh. However, there are many examples today where people are experiencing a dramatic healing in their heart as the Lord provides them with peace and rest in their own soul in the core of their very being as he reveals himself to them so that they may know him and trust and depend on all that he has for them. And so while it is very exciting to go through the scriptures and see the testimony of our God, to see him actively involved in the apostles' lives and to see the miracles that the Lord performs within and through them so that we can see his deity. What is also very interesting is to go through the scriptures and see the humanity of the apostles that he works within and through. That while we may be able to see the perfection of our God, there are other occasions when we can certainly see and relate to the imperfection of the apostles that he was using, that he was working through, that he was revealing himself within and through so that the world may be introduced to him and begin to know who he is. When we go through the scriptures, there are many occasions when we can see examples of the humanity of the apostles that even these great men, who we would consider to be great men of faith, experienced many moments of weakness, per se, when they didn't truly trust in the Lord as we would expect them to trust in the Lord. But instead, they would be distracted or even deceived into believing things that were not true. And there are occasions in the scriptures when we can see this. For example, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, we have an example when Peter and Barnabas were persuaded by many of the other men who came from Jerusalem they were persuaded into separating themselves from the Gentiles just because of what they were eating. This is described in Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, where Paul wrote, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned, for prior to the coming of certain men from James, 
He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. And so both Peter and Barnabas were persuaded to separate themselves from the Gentiles because there were people who came from Jerusalem that they were afraid of. They withdrew themselves because they were concerned that the people from Jerusalem would no longer accept them. This is a very powerful example of the need for acceptance and how it can drive and motivate us to do many things, to include even renouncing many of the important things that the Lord has revealed to us. Peter, for example, was the person who the Lord used in order to show that a Gentile could actually be saved without first becoming a Jew. The Lord revealed to him through a vision that was given to him with respect to the dietary laws that all men were considered to be clean as a result of the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus provided for all people throughout the entire world. And so Peter entered into the house of Cornelius, became ritually defiled, ate with them, ate with those Gentiles, communicated the gospel to them, and they were subsequently saved. And so when Peter returned to Jerusalem, he certainly gave a defense with regards to that issue. However, later on in his life, as described here in Galatians chapter 2, we can see that there are occasions when Peter would be more interested in being accepted by legalistic Jews, legalistic in the sense that they sincerely believe that their right standing before God is dependent on their repentance and obedience, that both Peter and Barnabas were more interested in being accepted by these people than they were in standing up for the truth in what the Lord had revealed to them prior, long ago. And so this is a wonderful example where we can see the humanity of the apostles, especially the apostle Peter and Barnabas. We can see their humanity, and we can know and believe and trust that even though they had occasions such as these, even though there were moments in their lives when they certainly denied the truth, the Lord still found ways to work within and through them that he did not hold their sins against them. It is a true demonstration of the forgiveness that has been presented through Christ Jesus and the reality that our God is more interested in working within and through us so that there can be a testimony of him than he is interested in presenting a testimony of us of how wonderful we may think we are as a result of our belief and faith. But instead, what is important is for us to keep our dependency and trust on him so that he can have greater opportunities to reveal himself and how wonderful he is. In addition to Peter and Barnabas, we have an example of the Apostle Paul, where the Apostle Paul apparently had trouble. He had a struggle within himself, whereas through this struggle we were definitely able to see his humanity. And what I mean by his humanity is we can see his sinfulness, we can see his unbelief, we can see his fear and the anger that may stir up within him as a result of his fear. In Acts chapter 18, we have a wonderful example of one of the struggles that the Apostle Paul had when he went to his synagogue and the people were resisting and blaspheming in response to what the Apostle Paul was wanting to share with them. This is given in Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 6, where it says, But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. It's almost as if Paul is having some kind of a temper tantrum. But it wasn't really a temper tantrum. What it was was that he was afraid. He was afraid that they would not believe. He was afraid that he would be ineffective in communicating the gospel to these people. He was simply afraid 
This expresses a lack of trust on his part on the living God, a lack of belief and dependency on the living God. It could be that this is an expression of him forgetting the fact that this is the Lord's message and not his. It is the Lord's gospel and not his. And that the Lord certainly does not need his success or failure. He only needs him. The Lord was more interested in the Apostle Paul than he is interested in what can be done within and through the Apostle Paul. He wants the Apostle Paul to know him. That is what a relationship is about. And even though Paul struggled at this moment, even though we can see the great Apostle Paul have a moment of fear in his life, even though that happened, the Lord still worked within and through him. There were people who did believe. For example, you continue to read into verse 8. This is Acts chapter 18, verse 8. It says, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. They were both believing and they were baptized. They believed in the gospel, and as they had been converted from being a Gentile into being a Jew to become participants in the synagogue, they converted through the means of circumcision and baptism. They then were baptized again as a traditional ritual that they could certainly understand because that was how they went into Judaism. It's very easy for them to take the same ritual and tradition and use that as a means of converting to belief in the Lord Jesus, especially given that they would hear about the baptism of John and that the Lord Jesus used the baptism of John, the baptism in water, in order to tell us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which the Lord Jesus would do himself. So first they believed, they were certainly saved, and then they were baptized, and I sincerely believe that this could very well be referring to water baptism. It could, of course, be referring to spiritual baptism that the Lord Jesus does as well. But personally, based on my understanding of the culture and the way those things were described in the book of Acts previously, I would venture to say that this is a water baptism that they are referring to. Again, certainly not mandatory. It's just simply the description of what they did in response to what they believed. But again, what is very interesting here is that Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. This is the first time that he came to Corinth. And when he went there, he aggressively spoke to people about the Lord Jesus. He went into the synagogue. And in this case, he says that he is from now on going to go and speak to the Gentiles. It is as if he is telling the Jews, I've had enough with you Jews. I am no longer going to go to your synagogues. I am only going to go to the Gentiles from now on because you people are just simply rejecting the truth of the Messiah. But even though he has this moment when he says this, he does still go to a synagogue later on. As we continue to read in Acts chapter 18, we go to Acts chapter 18, verse 19, where it says, They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. So even though he had this moment, it did not mean that he was done completely with going into any synagogue. It just meant that there was this moment where he experienced a sense of fear, and as a result he experienced anger. Anger is the byproduct of fear. It is a manifestation of the fear that a person has within their heart. And so when considering that, you can again see the humanity of the Apostle Paul, where Paul was actually afraid. And you would think that after all that he had been through, 
during his first missionary journey, during his travel to Jerusalem and back, and he is now on his second missionary journey. Many miracles have been performed within and through him already. Why would he be afraid? And why would he be so afraid just because a handful of people are not believing his testimony? Throughout his ministry beforehand, there were many people who did not believe. Why would it be so unique here? I don't believe that it has to do with the circumstances. I believe that it is just simply an example that shows that the Apostle Paul was a person, just like you and I, that he struggled with things, just like you and I struggle with things. The Lord spoke to Paul about this. We have this described in verse 9, Acts chapter 18, verse 9, where it says, And the Lord said to Paul, In the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. This was in Corinth. And so the Lord himself spoke to Paul and said, Look, do not be afraid. Even though many people have harmed you in the past, here at this place no one is going to harm you in the same way. And so even though many of the Jews in the synagogue rejected the message that he was communicating, and even though he was afraid of that, probably because, as the Lord describes, he was concerned about being harmed again, he revealed his fear by the anger that was stirred up within him, and he said something that apparently I don't think he really meant. And then after that, the Lord comforted him in a vision, in a dream, and spoke to his heart and said, Do not be afraid. I am with you. Stay here and speak to the Corinthians for a year and a half. He was there for a year and a half, working with the Corinthians, discipling them, doing his best to equip them so that they could have a stable foundation to build on top of with regards to their belief and trust in the Lord Jesus. Eventually, Paul did leave. But what's very interesting is that when he left, he went to Ephesus. And when he went into the synagogue there, as is described in Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 19, when he entered into the synagogue, there were many Jews who wanted him to stay to continue to speak with them about the Lord Jesus, that he is the Messiah. But he decided not to stay. This is described in Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 19. They came to Ephesus and he left them there referring to Priscilla and Aquila. And then it says, Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them, saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. And so again, the Apostle Paul, previously in Corinth, was very disturbed, very fearful, and very angry because the people in the synagogue did not hear him then. But now he comes to Ephesus and he speaks with them briefly about the Lord Jesus. They want him to stay and he decides not to stay. Now Priscilla and Aquila do stay and they continue to work with the people there in Ephesus. But why did the Apostle Paul leave? Why would he have left if he had an audience, if he had people that were wanting to speak with him more about the subject of the Lord Jesus? Why would he be in such a hurry to leave? Well, we don't know. We don't have a record of what he was thinking or what he was wanting to do, what would cause him to leave so early. But what I personally believe from what I see here in the chapter is that Paul was probably just getting tired. It's my personal opinion that Paul just needed a break, that he had been out for a long time. He had been out and away from his home base in Antioch. And I personally believe that he just needed a break, that he was tired, that he was just needing some time off. We do know, based on his letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, that the Corinthians, who he had been discipling, apparently 
did not mature very well or very much in their faith while he was there speaking to them, that there were some very real struggles that the Corinthians were dealing with that you would not expect a new believer to have to deal with, especially after being discipled by the Apostle Paul for a year and a half. And so I believe, considering the letters that he wrote to the Corinthians and the fact that he was there for a year and a half, I personally believe that he was just tired, he needed a break, and he was anxious to go back to Antioch, back to a home base where he could be refreshed and then go out again in order to minister to people. And sure enough, he did. This was the beginning of his third missionary journey, where after he had spent some time there in Antioch, he did leave. He went up into the Galatian region. This is described in verse 23 where it says, And having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And then we have the testimony of Apollos. And so I really enjoy Acts chapter 18, because I personally believe that it's a wonderful example of the humanity of the Apostle Paul and the faithfulness of the living God within and through the Apostle Paul, even in spite of the struggles that Paul apparently was having. Now, before Paul returned to Ephesus, there was another man by the name of Apollos who came to Ephesus to speak with the people there. This is described at the end of Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 24, where it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Now this says an awful lot about Apollos. This does tell us an awful lot about Apollos in terms of what he believed and in terms of what he was teaching. For him to speak with others about the Lord Jesus and teach fervently that Jesus is the Messiah would mean that Apollos was definitely very familiar with the scriptures, and he was familiar with the evidence found within the scriptures that would show that Jesus is the Messiah. I personally believe that the evidence that he was referring to most often would be the evidences of the prophecies that were given in the scriptures about the Lord Jesus, referring perhaps to Isaiah chapter 53, referring to the passages in Jeremiah or Zechariah. There are many passages in the scriptures, in the prophets of the scriptures, that do speak of the Lord Jesus, and it appears that Apollos was very skilled at using the scriptures in order to tell people about Jesus, about Jesus being the Messiah. Of course, Apollos did not have the New Testament back then because the New Testament had not been written yet. The scriptures that he would be referring to would be what we consider to be the Old Testament. Now, at the end of verse 25, it says that he was only acquainted with the baptism of John which means that he knew about the baptism of John, but he did not know about the baptism of Jesus. He did not know about the baptism that the Lord Jesus would do, the baptism of, the immersion of, or by, the Holy Spirit. That's something that apparently he did not know anything about. The baptism of John was a very important baptism. Through the baptism of John, it was revealed that a Jew was just as unclean as a Gentile, that a Jew would need to repent, just as a Gentile would need to repent. Through the baptism of John, people would recommit their lives or rededicate their lives to the Mosaic Law. They would devote their lives to repentance and obedience in order to be right with God. And so this can tell you an awful lot about the gospel that Apollos would be proclaiming. The gospel that Apollos would be proclaiming would be a gospel of you need to repent from your sins and turn to the Mosaic Law 
because Jesus is the Messiah. He is going to come back in order to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And there is a kingdom of heaven that is at hand that you also can enter into right now and be a part of if you will first repent from your sins, devote your life to obedience, and believe that Jesus is actually the Messiah. That would be the gospel of Apollos. Now, this certainly is not incorrect. It's just incomplete, because there is an awful lot more to the gospel than just that. But there are many people today who still proclaim the same gospel that Apollos proclaimed. They proclaim it this way. They say, Jesus died for your sins. He is the promised Messiah. Be baptized in water like John the Baptist was baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins, and then you will have a place in the kingdom of heaven. You are then to live a life of repentance and obedience in order to become a good Christian and to be right with God. This is the same gospel message that many people are teaching today, as Apollos apparently was teaching back then. But then when you continue to read in Acts chapter 18, verse 26, it says that, And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Why would they have the need to take him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately? Well, that's because the way of God that he was describing was not that accurate. It was because he needed to be corrected. Now, the correction that would need to be done would be very simple, and that was that John the Baptist said that he baptized with water, but there was another who was coming who was greater than him who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so while Apollos was still baptizing people in water, Priscilla and Aquila could speak to him about this matter and say that certainly John came to baptize with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And that's the baptism that is of importance. That is to be identified with, to be immersed with, or immersed by, or immersed in the Holy Spirit. That it is the restoration of the Holy Spirit within humanity that is salvation. John the Baptist did not give the gospel to the extent that a person could be saved. He gave the gospel to the extent that a person could turn to the Lord Jesus. But just turning to the Lord Jesus did not mean that they were automatically saved. They needed to turn to the Lord Jesus for what the Lord Jesus is offering. Just like today, a person can certainly turn to the Lord Jesus, but if they do not turn to him for what he is offering, then you cannot take what he is offering, you cannot receive what he is offering, and what he is offering is eternal life. That's what he's offering. He's offering the Holy Spirit of God, the life of God, to indwell within you that will remain within you eternally because he has forgiven you of all of your sins and so there is no sin left unforgiven that would cause that life to depart from within us again. That's the way of God more accurately. It is the solution to a problem and this problem was the original problem between man and God described by our God when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. The problem was that Adam and Eve ate from the wrong tree, they died, but they died spiritually, which meant that the Spirit of God departed from within them, and so whenever they gave birth to children from that day on, they gave birth to children who did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling within them. They were born into this world spiritually dead in the image of Adam, not in the image of God. And so the problem between man and God was not just that mankind needed sin to be forgiven, The problem between man and God was that mankind is dead and needs to be made alive. 
And so that's what the gospel is truly about. The gospel is about forgiving us all of our sins so that he can offer to us the Holy Spirit that have been lost in Adam so that we can be resurrected from the dead right now, be made alive, be born again by the Holy Spirit, and now being a child of God, we have a place in the kingdom of heaven with the living God who has created all things. Now, it appears that Apollos was very responsive to this, but he did not stay in Ephesus in order to tell people that he was wrong in order to correct the matter. He instead went to another community. This is described in Acts chapter 18, verse 27, where it says, And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So he did go to the next community, but it appears that he did not correct the message that he had proclaimed to others before he left. We know this because as you continue to read into Acts chapter 19, it says in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And then when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. But again, the important thing to see here is that Paul came into Ephesus and spoke with the people who apparently had received the gospel from Apollos, but they had only heard about the baptism of John, not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism that restores the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam, that actually saves a person. They had not even heard of such a thing. Paul comes in and makes the correction, and it is at this point that they are saved. As described in verse 6, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. In other words, it was at this point that they were actually saved. Now, there is an awful lot that can be said about Acts chapter 19. There are many subjects that are described here. I am out of time for this broadcast, and so I will have to come back to this in the next broadcast. But in the meantime, I would like to encourage you to get a hold of the series that I did on the subject of baptism and the series that I did on the subject of tongues. It was in these programs that I addressed the subject of baptism and tongues in great detail. I'm only going to be speaking about these subjects and generalities in these programs because I do have these other series that you can listen to on these subjects, and so I would like to refer you to those for more detail. But I will continue with Acts chapter 19 in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,